Hello and welcome to the Where We Left Off podcast. I am your host, Austin Gall, with my co-host, Tommy Hanlon, back in the back in the saddle today. The two of us have been working together for more than 10 years in the music industry, from managing a DIY venue to traveling the Midwest throwing parties. We've met some interesting people along the way. This podcast is dedicated to conversations with artists and road dogs we have formed friendships with and see time and time again. We pick up where we left off. Tommy, we're back. Glad to have you back. Glad you're back safe and sound in Colorado. You recently celebrated your birthday this last week. So happy belated birthday. I am such a piece of shit because I forgot your birthday. So uh, I love you. I'm sorry I forgot your birthday. I still feel like really bad. That's all right, man. I mean, I was kind of toying with you. I just wanted to see if you remembered, and then I forgot to actually tell you when it was. So then two days later, when you're like, so when is your birthday? I was like, ah, oh, fuck, he, he he didn't even get it, did he? <laughs> yeah, dick. So that really sucks. I've, I'm terrible at remembering birthdays. Even, like, with my best, like, Ryan Arlaskis, like, my old roommate, like, every fucking year his birthday comes around in January, and I miss it like every year. I feel so bad. I still haven't sent him a gift. I got him a gift this week, and I'm sending it, so better late than never, I guess. Yeah, he'll still appreciate it. Yeah. Time isn't a real thing anymore, even, so Dude, you get you, to it when you get to it. Are you sick of driving back and forth between like Omaha and Colorado? Like Every time like we get on this podcast, I'm like, Dude, you're back in Colorado yet again. Like, do you ever get sick of like that boring drive from like Omaha to Colorado? Because I would be going crazy by now if I were you. No, man, it's like a glimpse of all the driving I would have been doing anyway. So, okay, well, <laughs> I'm very used to to long hauls and the open road. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's where Papa Tom really likes to spend his time anyway. So, I guess it, it's all <laughs> it's it's all in the stars. I guess. It all works out. But yeah, uh, this is an episode uh, I've been looking forward to. Our guest this week is somebody I've worked with over the past two years and become good friends with. Um, born in New Jersey, grew up in Toronto, now resides in L.A. He's currently signed to Fueled by Ramen, just released his debut album at the end of 2020, and is the holder of a fresh platinum single. We are joined by Jordan Benjamin, as most of you may know him, grandson. Uh, Jordan and I met at the beginning of 2019 when I was hired as a general tech for the band. Truth be told, when I took the job, I had only really heard one song. It was uh, Bury Me Face Down, if I remember right. And even then, I didn't realize it was one of his songs until after I had accepted the position. Um, I've talked about Bobnet before and how it's a fun way of getting jobs if you're in the industry. And it's just kind of like... Russian roulette. You don't know what you're going to get. You just apply for the thing. And if you get it, you get it. And one day I got a call from a, a German fellow saying, Hey, can you be in Canada on Wednesday? And it was like a Sunday night. It was actually my birthday two years ago. It was February of 2019. Whoa. And it's a- my birthday today. So this is a crazy special event. Wait, wait, your birthday? No, your birthday. Nah. Fuck I was like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> but we can pretend like, this, is a, this feels like, like a wait, no, this is a funny. celebration this is a celebratory episode it right, is well it we'll is. consider it your birthday then it's like applebee's when you go and like when you were a kid and you would just like lie to them so the they extra bring you like cake yeah hell yeah i used to do that hell yeah yeah man i just remember we basically had about 20 dollars a night and like a taco bell gift card and we were like we need somebody to do everything on this tour <laughs> It was pretty uh, much that. And we just had <laughs> nobody. And so we heard of the mythical Bobnet, uh, at which point we just fucking threw up a Hail Mary. We met Tom in the airport the day of uh, 
our the Montreal show. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, proceeded to then play a hundred shows together in about nine months. Yeah. So it was hot and fast when you join the the where we left off crew. That's how you guys like to do it, keeping it extra sleazy. And uh, <laughs> we did it. You know, Tom just fucking busting his back in the dark, in the cold, one two man loadouts. God forbid Ramon, our guitarist, has to lift up his amp. God forbid I certainly have to do it because I'm a rock star, guys. That's not my job. But uh, yeah, so, man, literally getting paid like a joint and, and a pat on the back that first tour. We were just so, uh, so unprepared and uh, truly the MVP. So he has a lifetime podcast uh, cameo card to pull on me that I'm more than happy to come hang out for an afternoon. <laughs> I'm glad I can always call in the favor. <laughs> uh, yeah, looking back on that, for I had that written here. Like that first, like joining up with you guys was insane because you guys had been in rehearsals for the week, but it was like I joined too late to go to rehearsal, so I just went into the first show like not knowing really what was going on. I was just kind of like, "We'll figure it out," <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, and if we had to pay now. for your flight into los angeles right. that was yeah, the amount of money we had allotted for you to make for six months so <laughs> right uh, that 250 dollars, we just couldn't we couldn't <laughs> afford to uh, expend it any other way um but yeah now we have an interesting collision of worlds uh austin and jordan are both people i worked with and consider close friends but they have never actually met in person and every time like a grandson show would get close to the midwest austin would have an emo night in a different market anytime austin and i would be in la jordan would be tied up so this isn't exactly how i envisioned this meeting happening i always assumed it would be like backstage or you know like before a grandson show or something and there would be a lot more drinking involved um but i think this is going to be fun too um so yeah, like I guess we already brought you onto the show. So let's let's dive in. Let's dive in. Let's start. Yeah. Let's start with the hardest hitting questions first. Yeah, man. Um, do you have any thoughts, Austin? Before we before we dive yeah, in? I mean, no. It's it's good to meet Jordan. I mean, like you said, it's it's not the way that I envisioned it either. But obviously, it's it's been fun to watch you get on the road with like a serious band, a serious artist, and you know, I feel like I have a connection to Jordan, even though I don't even know him. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it, we've, we've both spent a, a, a ridiculous amount of time with Papa Tom, as I like to call him, but uh, traveling with Tommy is hilarious, fun and stressful all at the same time. And I know Jordan <laughs> probably enjoys it as much as I do, but truly it's been fun to watch Jordan uh, take his career to next level too. You know, with, with Tommy being <clears throat> right there on the crew as well, it's been fun to kind of have like a, a unique view of it. I've loved the new album. You know, and your music is powerful and political at times, which I personally love. You know, we've had a couple, um, a, a lot of good political discussions on this podcast already. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of talking about that as well. Man, thank you for that. Yeah, we were supposed to link up. I think there was a randomly, I don't know if that was like a, an in the future thing, but Tom hit me one time like, dude, would you ever want a celebrity guest DJ in Omaha emo night or something? I was like, yeah, dude, sure. You know, like, bring it um, on. Yeah, I'm just going to say yes, and um, I don't know whether, like, Nebraska is haunted or uh, or what, but, yeah, every time we get close, something, something kept fucking up, so, uh, Never yeah, did to be continued, but, but let's dive in now, let's let's hang out for a little bit and, uh, and talk shop, road dogs, we're doing it. Yeah, like, 
like I said, there's so much ground to cover, like where to begin. Um, so we might as well just start with what you've been doing these past few months. Last time I saw you, we just shot the Death of an Optimist movie. Um, Dirty's hitting the charts. It's peaking at number nine in the U.S. so far. Only expect great things down the line, right? So was this the single you pushed for? Or was there a song on the album you thought was going to hit harder? Uh, good question. Um, I think that one of the best things that I learned as far as singles go, as far as what is allocated towards um, with songs and stuff, the best thing that I can do is uh, put a team around me that I trust and just get out of their way. So, yeah, I guess that I had songs that um, we either put on the album and haven't yet made a single um, or we have songs that we chose to hold, uh, for album two, or for maybe a deluxe version of the album coming down the road that plausibly, like I believed in as much as the day that we wrote my song dirty, which is the one that we went with. But, um, I think that when my team said, look, this is the one we're excited about. This is the one that has the budget for the music video. We've sent it to the radio team. Everybody's stoked. It's like, if I have a problem with that, then I have a problem with my team. And that's a, that's a bigger conversation. Like if I don't trust that these people know, um, then I shouldn't be signed to a label. And I think more than ever, there is a lot of uh, pride in being indie and independent label and uh, retaining all of your, you know, intellectual property. I think there's a lot of value in that, but, but uh, I have a really hard time, um, keeping organized <laughs> like I'm very much an artist I I like I'm kind of all over the place songs that I didn't think would do well have songs that I thought would do well didn't so I don't really even trust my intuition with it but luckily in signing with a label you've got a bunch of people whose jobs as it is is to make those calls and for the most part um, I'm along for the ride just making stuff and and trying to focus on 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 what i can control which is just using social media using these shows to, to win people over and and keep them so speaking of things that are out of your control you know the new album came out in december after being pushed due to the pandemic but most of the writing had been done before the pandemic had even you know broke like it wasn't even a thought so can you talk about writing the album pre-pandemic and then releasing it in the filter of like this new world do you find any of the lyrics are more relatable now than when you initially wrote them Oh man. Yeah. And it's really weird. I, I, uh, I had written this project. Um, when, when I first met Tom, it was, uh, I think February of 2000, if I recall. And we basically were on the road until November, uh, with maybe no more than two or three weeks off in that time. So, um, by the time I got off in November of 2019, I was pretty profoundly burnt out. Um, not just like my voice is sore, but like I can't even see the, um, I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard when you're living on the road to know, is, is my time off supposed to be the most fulfilling part or is the time off supposed to just be this stopgap to get me back out there? Like that was something that, I spent 2018 and 2019 just playing so many shows and trying to meet so many people. It all just became a blur. And in that time, other really personal parts of my life were really stagnant because you just can't water all the plants, you know, and that you're going to neglect your 
your home space, your relationships, something's got to give when you're spending as much energy as we spent um, just, just trying to execute night after night. And so when I got off of tour, I knew I wanted to make an album. Uh, I, I knew that I wanted the album to accomplish certain things. Uh, like I wanted the song to be on the radio and I want to play bigger rooms than I played before the album off the strength of the album. Um, but I think for the first couple months, I was writing songs that I hoped would take me there. And uh, as a result, they weren't, uh, very good. Like they were fine, but they were very, for me, they just felt very safe. And I was just scared to make an album that was really me because what I wanted was for, you know, to be an artist that isn't me, that's bigger and that more people like. So I literally made an album that we um, revisited around January and it was like, I don't like any of these ideas. Let's just start from scratch. And um, obviously Trump and the re-election was, was coming up and rearing its head. And um, so I think for me, I was also, uh, I was struggling to find the hope that we were going to get our shit together uh, in time to um, make this sort of historic changes that have since been made. Um, and more so uh, reflecting on all this time I spent on tour, playing all these shows, you know, so much of my music for anyone that doesn't know the kind of music I make, so much of it is, is driven towards uh, agency and like empowering kids. Um, and, and I was the, the messenger, especially going into conservative cities and telling these kids, you know, you can make change and you can uh, be a one, one man, one woman, one human revolution. doesn't matter what anyone else around you believes. Um, but over the course of touring, I was like having really low days where I wasn't really buying that, where I was really cynical about um, my future or the future of, you know, a young American kid ho hoping to, to leave the world a better place than they found it. So hope and optimism became the, the thesis. That was the anchor of like, do I have hope? Um, and different songs uh, would, would take on that question from a different perspective. Some days I was feeling like angry and wanted to make a really pessimistic song. Other days it would be more, you know, don't give up that easy. There's, don't you have one more rep in you or something? Yeah. So I, I think that's, it's, it's sick because I mean, you talk about like not knowing how to like feel about everything going on. And I feel like the album kind of like speaks to that. I feel like it's, it's so, it's so focused in that manner. You know, there's like so many different emotions that are coming out during the album. And that's how I felt during a lot of that time too. So I, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And, and so to answer the question, sorry, I was rambling, but no, you're good. the ultimately it was like, once the pandemic hit, those topics of do I have hope for my future or how, what do I see my, can I realistically see a better version of myself? Um, that only felt more relevant. And I think that when people are trying to make big changes in their life, whether it's getting out of a, a, a toxic relationship or kicking a bad habit, um, you have to, you have to have the imagination and like the optimism to, to have an end goal worth fighting for. Like if you're about to start a weight loss journey, you have to believe that you're going to, that you're going to be a, a more fit version of yourself. If you want to um, kick, you know, 
or anything like that. You have to believe that there's a version of you that's, that's going to be there at the end of all this work. And I've navigated that kind of stuff in my personal life. And so for me, um, yeah, that, that hope became the theme and it has certainly been tested in this year more than any other year, you know, and I refer to this year being, you know, post the past, uh, this news that we all got that, that just derailed all of our plans. And, you know, I think the first month of the pandemic, there was this real, like, does anyone even give a shit about, about music? I think ever since, you know, Donald Trump was kicked off Twitter. And since there's been a bit more stability, um, to life within this pandemic, you're seeing more music get put out. You're seeing more content and and artists navigating this weird elephant in the room that we can't really talk about that is uh, on our minds, but particularly in 2020, um, I don't know if there was ever such a time where entertainment and reality were um, muddied and like, it was hard to distinguish your president was a reality TV show. Your entertainment was um, finding new ways to be socially conscious and confrontational everywhere you turned as the Black Lives Matter movement um, took, took the stage over the summer. Like it was really confusing to navigate as an artist um, where to fit into that, you know? And ultimately I did feel that putting out an album in this time about these topics was my way of giving back to a fan base that had given me a sense of purpose for years now, but it was really hard to understand, like, where do I fit into all this? Um, and so, yeah, I think that for the most part, the songs might've resonated in new ways. Um, but the theme was something that we all have to navigate, you know, mask on or off. Do you feel that like things changed in the release process because of COVID and things like, obviously like the date was pushed, but like some of the more visual aspects that came alongside it, like the movie, the X character in particular, like was some of that a creation of the pandemic or were those things that were already on your mind before? Yeah, no, I think that um, following, you know, once once I had written most of the album between January and March and uh, we were about to go on our tour in Canada, uh, literally the, the next day we were supposed to like pack up this rehearsal space and get going when we got a phone call that um, everything that the world shut down, the NBA shut down, all the concerts were postponed. It was just like a crazy 72 hours after a couple of weeks of feeling sorry for myself. Um, I remember just trying to refocus on, well, these are, again, these, this is what I can control. Like, this is what's in my power. This is what isn't. And one thing I could do is a, a real clear audit on the, the stuff that I had done in the past, um, because I had the time. So for the first time, uh, because so much of what I was doing over the years of 2018 and 19 were on tour. So I play an LA show and we have a day off. We're shooting a music video and I'm kind of approving creative decisions on the fly. Um, it was it, so much of what I was doing just felt like putting out fires. So in 2020, I had the chance to just watch all of my shit all over again and listen to old songs and, and try to understand where certain things that I had high expectations for fell short. What were things that, uh, that exceeded my expectations? What could I learn from that? 
and a, a couple things came up, but one of the big ones was um, really putting myself in front of the camera and, and standing in front of what I believe in um, having more energy in my music videos, because especially in this year, that is the closest anyone's going to get to seeing a performance from me. So there was this kind of clear sense of, um, I want to be productive. I want to improve in this time. And, and yeah, the visuals, the merch, the conceptual, um, uh, creation of like these different characters embodying what each song was about that all happened. Um, one, because I was just trying to keep myself busy on and, and make better shit than I had in the past, but also too just selfishly because I missed, uh, being nervous. Like I miss doing hard new things. Uh, that's what makes me feel the most alive when, when I'm about to get on stage and play a new song for the first time, or we are, you know, setting shit up with 15 minutes line check in front of 5,000 people at a music festival. Like I didn't get that this year. And so acting and the more theatrical components of the album would not have happened if not for my, um, that just the, 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 all the shit that happened this year. Does some of that acting like? Do you find it opening new doors? Yeah, maybe, or or busting doors open that I had already kind of peeked into. Like I, I I think on songs like Despicable or Dark Side, songs on tour that were already very clearly one um, speed, like one mood. Songs that were like uh, uh, self deprecating or revengeful um those were things that i could return to whether that meant just accessing the the mood and situation i was in when i wrote the song and just going okay if i keep that on my mind then i can stay pissed off the whole time and a lot of people make these funny comments or memes on the internet about the weird dis like um ways that my music is super angry but that i'm super chill and there's this weird like me versus my music these two different characters that seem to emerge when really my music's always just been an outlet for that side of myself. So I have less bubbling underneath the surface. Um, and so, yeah, acting and doing these music videos and, and starting to do a couple auditions um, on, on like the acting side of things has been fun for me because it was something I was already doing that I just hadn't really put any uh, work into. So you've seen a lot of recent success with an old single, uh, Bloodwater, coming back around amidst all of the civil unrest in the country. It recently just went platinum, which is super exciting. Your first platinum song. Um, you know, how have things changed since that was released, you know, three years ago now? I mean, the themes of the song I obviously still stick around, but I mean, how do you think, you know, time has changed from from then to now? Man, I mean, kind of a it's kind of a complicated question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, there's a million ways to interpret it. Like, obviously, uh, there's still a desire for justice. There's still so many excuses made. Uh, you know, you look at the landscape today, and the reality is that Trump and a lot of the people closest to him that just allowed american virtue and morality to just be up for sale a lot of the consequences of some of these decisions as they relate to deregulation as they um as they relate to the very core like tenets of of open market small government conservatism the consequences of those things are felt 
disproportionately by people that uh, can't really do shit about it. And the people who make those decisions continue to kind of get away with it. So um, as long as that is true, then I think that that song is going to resonate with some people. And uh, it's interesting to watch it get, um, you know, these, these second and third and fourth like wins behind it. Um, and watch the song get interpreted by people across the political spectrum. All kinds of people have found themselves in it. Like, um, and ultimately and across the world too. Right. I mean, it's yeah, not just, totally. It's, yeah, in, and it's in not places like Russia and yeah. Poland and Germany. It's, it's badass, man. And it's yeah. really, uh, just goes to show all you can do is be, um, honest and hopefully you can, touch a pressure point of, of a feeling in a time and after it's out it's just not yours anymore so i'm not here to tell people what to think when they listen to the song and i had an interesting conversation with tom morello about that because uh, you know every year they some you know uh, maga rally goes viral because they're listening to killing in the name of or something and paul and go to rage against the machines his favorite band and it's like dude how do you not know that you're the very fucking machine that we're raging against but yeah like you know ultimately how, how if people want to crazy i know but some people just want to hear a guitar riff and they don't really yeah. give a shit about what we're talking about and they think that i'm some you know yeah hollywood jewish liberal elite and it's like okay well that's uh, that's that's part of the game like you know that if some some people find it easier than others to separate the art from the artist separate the the initial themes that the artist intended to put in there to how it makes you feel and uh i'm just i i think i spent a certain amount of time like battling it like i'm worried that it's being taken out of context or okay that song's had its run but i'm i want another song of mine to do that like I want to recreate that exciting moment that that song gave me. And uh, now I'm just really grateful that anyone gives a shit about any of it. You know, I feel like just so lucky that that song took me around the world and, and led a lot of people to the rest of my catalog and all this shit. So um, I'm certainly grateful for all of it. And what are you going to do? You know, some people are, the the song is going to mean something and then it'll fall out of, favor and then it'll become a a nostalgic thing in five years and all of a sudden it'll be this weird thing where you know look at emo night you know at a certain point there's going to be like an mid early 20s alternative you know singing night and it's going to be like (laughs) what happened and hopefully by that time i'm like still like able to support and feed my family and make cool music with my friends and play good shows hopefully so Fuck yeah! Like, keep streaming that shit. I dare you. Do it ironically. Do it. Do it to spite me. You know, like have an I hate blood water party where everyone gets together and listens to my song. Like, as long as you're hitting that play button. Yeah, exactly. Fuck yeah! Listen to it while you sleep. That'll show me. Well, speaking speaking of that song, one one cool connection that we do have between the two of us is that you did the music video with our good friend Morgan Freed from Writer Cry, my boy, which is the company, as you all know very well, because we talk about it all the fucking time that we work with very closely. Uh, I mean, what was it like to work with him on that music video? I mean, Morgan is an extremely talented guy. He's a he's a fucking visionary for music videos. I think he's probably one of the, and I'm not just saying this because I work for him, but he truly is. He he produces some of the best you know 
music videos in this modern day that we kind of live in, you know, from like the 2015 era to like now, I mean, he's, he's one of the best out there, but just talk about working with him on that music video. And a side note, you, we have to link up for an emo night sometime. Like it's, let's go. Let's it's, go. It's, it's in the stars. So I have a really embarrassing confession and I've already shared it with Morgan, but I did, I just didn't really have an emo phase. So, oh, well, okay. Well, you know, like our emo jams on the tour bus are definitely predominantly Tommy and our bassist Renzo. Like yeah. I'm here for the ride. I, I enjoy a pop punk song, but like other than like the hit of the hits, I don't actually know that much because I was just a hip hop kid when I was that age. So, I mean, it's kind of lame, and some people are just gonna be like, "Oh man, he's not fucking rock and roll." And it's okay, you know, you know, if you ever do like a DJ set, just bring Tommy up there with you, and you can yeah, just, like, he'll you just can, he'll you just, can just work the mic, and he'll just like I'm gonna drop some like into deep on him. Yeah, and they're yeah, exactly. You'll know I mean, it's I got, yeah, the, I got the bangers, like the 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 hits, but. Yeah, I'm gonna That's have to. You're from Toronto. I need a you side know, DJ to pull in to pull in like the I, my. Cool we'll bring part. Renzo. We'll bring Renzo out for that. Yeah, <laughs> and he, but, can, uh, he can help yeah, you. Like, I just feel like uh, working with Morgan, working with with you know him and his team. Like they just uh, have a vision. They're super super talented and creative. I've been fortunate enough to work on a couple different things with Morgan. We also participated in the 320 festival set up by. Um, Kevin Lyman and Talinda Bennington aiming at promoting and, and uh, educating people on mental health and, and resources like that. So we linked up there. Um, he came on my short, ill-fated attempts at a podcast last year. I actually watched so, that recently. It was a good episode. Yeah, there we go. Wow. Good show, Glad man. somebody did. No, it was it was fun. It was cool to hang out. And uh, yeah, they they we we just shot this like movie for for my song and uh at the time I had these, these dreams of doing uh, these kind of Stanley-esque, like just cameos. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to get in the way of the story. Let me just be the, the guy in the background. So they, they got me like a milkman costume and I was only in there for one scene, but uh, I just remember feeling like, holy shit. Cause it was my first music video with, with Fueled By. Um, so it was the first time I had like actors and people running around and like a budget music video. And it's fucking cool. It was really cool. You know, since March, like one of the only things we've really done as a live, uh, live unit has been the death of an Opus optimist movie shoot. And obviously it came from the lack of shows being played in 2020, um, to support the new album. How did the visual story come alongside the album once it was decided to be made into a movie? Well, I think one of the ways that we really helped figure out and flesh out how we're going to move through these different songs was we teamed up with the director and producer um, duo that had worked with me on all of the music videos for the album. So as opposed to working with somebody whose background was in live music or live stream direction, uh, I fucking don't enjoy live streams. Uh, unfortunately for myself and for the t music industry, I think live streams are going to be so sick in like 20 years when everyone's got one of these VR headsets and uh, headphones, the shit ton of bass, and you can like go smell the bar and have your feet stick to the floor. Like I see that as completely inevitable and not where we're at yet. So I had no real interest in making um, a normal live stream because it was going to be 
a huge logistical clusterfuck and be super expensive no matter how we did it. But if I do a live stream, then I don't really have as much replay value in it because it's less produced and I couldn't uh, get that. The audio is tight. If I want to do a live album, I can't really do a re-air of it. So we made the decision to try and make it some hybrid of a, of a concert documentary um, while also being the first and only time that anybody's been able to see how we would and will interpret these songs live when we do get back on tour. So it was uh, in typical fashion with my team, like super last minute, everyone was in the dark on how this was going to get pulled off. And we shot uh, at 16 hours in one day and got the whole thing done and it was really fun to do um if only just because i got to link back up with my the you really take it for granted but we were just like pack animals for the year 2019 and for 2018 as well um when it was just the four of us in a van but you know you're eating every meal together you're like waking up in these walmart parking lots and trying to make your own fun you're missing home you're getting in fights with relationships back home all that kind of stuff you're navigating all of that together and then just this year it was hard it was just abrupt i remember having a moment where like this group chat that used to just be our lifeline for everything from like when is call time to you know i'm having a hard time and i could really use you guys like that that a couple months since the pandemic just got kind of quiet and just became this like place to vent about the coronavirus. And it was like, man, I don't, I fucking just miss when we were just all arguing over who ordered the best, you know, meal at the Chinese restaurant. And so to get back to that was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. You know, I think that fans really enjoyed it. The, the hashtag, uh, you know, trended on Twitter for a second and kids that were fans of the album did seem to come out and enjoy it. But um, it was definitely a selfish thing where it was like, I really want to play this album and I miss my fucking friends. So let's all get tested. Label can, I'll, we'll figure it out. Like, and if we got to like do this thing, uh we got to do it and it was fun it was fun and we're probably going to put it out again soon we just dropped a, a footage from a couple of the songs on youtube and again that's the benefit of doing it in this way we really filmed like 12 one take music videos uh and ordered them with some interviews and fan edited content instead of it just being us doing rehearsal like a, a dress rehearsal essentially in front of an iPhone. That just didn't make any sense. Right. I'm really jealous that you guys got to get together this year. Oh my God. Yeah. It was year, great. It was. Yeah. I, it, but it also jealous. kicked up a whole lot of, uh, it was weird. I, it was weird. And it just made me mad actually, to be honest. I like my mental health afterwards wasn't great because it reminded me of the year we didn't have. Um, yeah. and so that sucked. Like I actually didn't leave. I was, I really struggled to be present and it was a good wake up call for me to, uh, to try and get my mental health back in order because I had spent all year being so mad that we didn't get live music. And then the one weekend of live music all year, I'm just mad that we didn't get a year of live music. And if you can't appreciate the present, 
then the future is going to come and go. And, you know, it's like, so yeah, I t- it was I totally, cool though. Totally I'm really grateful that. for it. Yeah. I totally feel that too, man. Like, I mean, you talk about like not being present in the moment and everything. Like, I think I've spent so much time during this pandemic, just kind of like being like, shit, man, I don't get to do anything that I haven't really been like there in the moment and really haven't like done anything with my time. So it has been a good way. It has been a good wake up call, you know, like getting together with like friends or like a podcast is like, okay, I should keep going. You know, it's like losing like your entire creative outlet for like a year. I mean, like music is all that me and Tommy have done since we were like 14. And I'm sure you're probably the same way. So having that like ripped away from you is, is devastating. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to you and to you and to anybody listening, like, absolutely. It makes sense to feel like shit and not get anything done because we're living through like a generational, um, holy shit moment, you know, like that, that makes sense that we don't have a great grip on things all the time. And there's nothing you can do about that. But I definitely, um, I tried to respond personally with what can I do to stave off that feeling and that's what took me on this crazy journey of these elaborate music videos where I've suddenly got makeup and I'm doing my hair and doing choreography. Like, what the fuck am I even doing? But honestly, what I'm doing is something new changes things up, puts me out of my comfort zone and gets me expressing myself in, in a way that like I just miss. So whatever your thing is, you know, finding some new angle to it and uh and being kind to yourself like those things go such a long way because we're a couple uh, hopefully all there's been so much optimism in the headlines right now with the way that we're getting these vaccines out and hopefully we'll be back on tour again by the fall i really do hope that um but i can't sit around waiting for september to come in february like i just can't do that like that's not really an option so what can I get doing? Um, and no time to start like right now. So you kind of spoke on it when shit just like hit the fan and we were like, everything just crumbled and live music was taken away. We were about to head out on a year of like just jam packed again with, with, with shows and live music. We were about to head into a Canada run, uh, do a bigger, you know, support run with a day to remember and then go into a summer of even bigger support runs. Um, and these were going to be some of the, you know, arguably some of the bigger biggest shows that grandson had done to date Um, one of the biggest things that i remember from that time was once everything shut down tommy showed up at my front door with his beard shaved um and if you know (laughs) tom he's had that beard the whole time and that it remains probably the weirdest part of this whole pandemic was this person that looked like they killed tommy and wore his face but that had an entirely different chin should have been my door because I think Tom was like high and like read an article about like oh. the fucking coronavirus getting stuck on your beard hairs or something. So he just decided. I thought that he must have uh, like in in response to the coronavirus killed like a hooker at a bar and like needed to change his identity and like head to Tijuana in the morning. But like literally, it was like I'm over here just trying to figure out what I'm gonna do with my life, and I get a knock on the door and it's like Bizarro Tom being like. Ah man, I'm getting out. Do you want to come meet me in the forest? We can hang out for a couple of weeks. I was like, dude, good luck. You know, I hope that I'll see you down the road. I feel like it was like one of those bank heist movies where like the two main characters just like go their separate ways. And it's like, all right, maybe I'll meet you at the end credits. Probably not, but but here we are. Tommy's oh back. Oh my He's god, back. 
that was a pretty manic, crazy, impulsive thing to do. But yeah, Tommy, was I not talking about shaving your beard just yesterday when we were FaceTiming? I literally was. I was like, dude, you look so just like Tom is really handsome. He's got a really good bald head. And we've talked a lot about it on us. Like, you've got a really good shape to it, and a lot of people aren't so lucky. Um, and you know, I, you, you had a nice like newscaster thing going on, but keep the beard, Tom, keep the oh, beard. Yeah, no. It's just you. This is you. It was strictly the same like a it, germ thing. I f- had a small meltdown in LA and shaved my face with a pair of scissors in a hotel room. <laughs> Who cool. hasn't done that? You know, like Tommy, <laughs> Tommy, you peaked early in, in the, in quarantine, man. That's, that's great. Yeah. That was, uh, damn Jordan. Thank you for sharing that story. That was, it was uh, pretty these are, good. These are, man. these are, pri- pretty, these are priceless. Papa it was stories. just like one of those things where I wasn't even that surprised because so many things that I thought would never happen were happening, but this was just like, it was like uh, in Shaun of the Dead where he's like walking back and there's just people on fire running past him, you know? It was like that where the apocalypse is happening and he's just like not really in the know yet. Uh, so that was how I felt at that time. I think that's a pretty good like in the in the aftermath of all these tours. Like we just, we had strategically, we were supposed to go back on tour in January, but it was like, man, I don't like any of my album. I need to write an album still. And we can delay and postpone certain opportunities in January because we could get them in March, but then March got pushed to May and then May never even happened. And so I remember being really mad. Like it was nobody's fault. Nobody could have predicted that there was a pandemic, but we made decisions that were really not pandemic friendly. Um, as it related to like what my fucking year looked like. I was supposed to go on tour from March until like December, you know? And it was just like, man, that sucks. Wish we went on tour from December to March and then wrote an album. But uh, what the fuck are you going to do about it? You know, again, it was like, I spent a couple of days really being mad at myself and everyone around me. But, and then I, and then I put my suit on and put my eyeliner on and like got to work. Yeah, it's crazy because I remember we had the last weekend in February, we had our last emo night. Like we had a stretch run in like February of like weekend trips every every single weekend. And Tommy came to the last one. It was supposed to be the last time that I was going to see him like in 2020. <laughs> like he was going to be gone from we spent every weekend together in February. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to take off for the rest of the year. I was like, damn, that's going to be crazy. Then like a week later, uh, clean shaven Tommy shows up back in Omaha and I'm like, Oh my God, Jason Bourne shows up at your front <laughs> fucking door. I know it was crazy. It was sucked. It sucked. Oh it still God. sucks. I get upset thinking about it, but made a bunch of good music and got a lot more time to build a home. You know, I was talking a bit before about like, I didn't feel solid off of tour because I had spent my adult life neglecting like I'm, i started touring when i was like 24 um and before that i was just dicking around trying to get on tour and so yeah i had just hadn't taken steps that this year i feel so much more solid in who i am and what i'm doing this for you know and that i think will lead to going out on tour a little more balanced and you don't want to use the road to fill up the bucket you know, if you only define yourself by how everyone else feels about you and how you're, you know, moving up the career ladder, all that can be taken just like that. Look at what happened. Like we all had this way in which we 
valued ourselves and wish the world look it's nice to be on this side of the stage everyone's looking at us and even if you're even if your job is to be tuning the 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 snare or something you look out and there's 1500 people looking at this way feels good to be looking down at them you know it feels really good (laughs) and uh then that goes away so i feel grateful in some ways for this pandemic because you know, it just gave me time to, to really build out like who I am and what I'm doing this for, if not for, um, everyone else's uh, yeah, like right. worship or something. Yeah. I kind of felt the same, man. Like I felt like touring just kind of became like my personality and I hated that, you know, like I, I hated the way that like, like things ended up like at the end of like when the pandemic started, like looking back on it, like I was gone so much and like home during like Monday through Wednesday, you know, like a worthless time, a worthless time to be home. Yeah. Like nobody, nobody does shit, but like, it, like touring and being away from home became like my personality. And like, after like looking back on it, it's really been nice to kind of just like be at home and like spend time with my dog and like spend time with my grandpa, like, you know, get, obviously getting a test before like I go out and like hang out with him, but like, you know, actually getting to like spend like, you know, a month with him, like something that I've never really, really been able to do before. Like, yeah. Just- and a lot of people aren't so lucky. I, no. I hear you. And a lot of people, you know, like I, my version of it is, you know, I mean, I'm, I wish things were different. I'm, I haven't been able to spend much time with, with my family because I live out here in, in LA. And, um, but, you know, I'm all right. You know, I, the fact that I get to make music and the, you know, the fact that all of a sudden I'm getting a message and that Bloodwater's getting listened to 700,000 times a day in October, three years after it came out. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, that's good. <laughs> you know, that's great. That's right, so, right. it's all good for the most part except when it's not and even then like it's not that bad but i cannot wait let's talk about that let's just let's 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 get some happy shit let's talk about how how fucking awesome it's gonna feel when we get back to this shit well how about this what's it like touring with tommy man i mean obviously we both we both spent a, a a incredible amount of time with this human being uh traveling across the midwest traveling across the world in your case um he's always eating something and he's always trying to nap somewhere but what are your like least favorite things about touring with tommy oh uh, man yeah let's, let's get let's, it let's get into it just, oh let, man let's go you guys I mean, want my, a sin number my probably okay. the, the the most frustrating thing about touring with tommy is when he chooses to break rules as it relates to travel and what you can bring uh, from one uh, yeah. destination to another well, that's one from, of the most annoying things about tom and i don't from one time. employer to another it's a yeah com- exactly it's a, it's like sometimes he has shampoo things. bottles that are a little too big but they <laughs> somehow makes it across um but no I, he's the best i mean i feel very lucky that again it was like literally we had to just be like look dude this is the reality you're gonna have to do too much and get paid too little but somewhere down the line you might get you know you'll you'll continue to be overworked and underpaid but like hopefully the, <laughs> you'll get it'll slightly be more. a little like there'll be more <laughs> in it for you or something and honestly like we just needed that and the fact that we got that somebody who is as curious thoughtful um loyal like those the i feel very very lucky that um so much of our you know, I think that being a solo artist, um, the reputation that I build going into a venue or as it relates to like the scene, I don't really know anything about any of that, but I know that it exists 
as far as the, the crew you keep. If everyone walks in treating the local people like shit, um, you know, those things come back to me ultimately. And so I feel very lucky that we have a really hardworking, humble, appreciative uh, a team that we had we had brought together. And uh, so th- that stuff is great. You know, what are you going to do? Like, it, it really almost matters. literally doing like tour, t- tuning the guitars, anything that goes wrong. If, a, you know, in Paris, it was like we had 25 kids rush the stage with $3,000 worth of gear just on the floor in front of like the guitarist tom's the guy that everyone's looking to while he's literally tuning two guitars at the same time so fuck dude like the fact we even made it out alive and and put on great great shows like i fucking can rewatch this shit on youtube go see about what tommy's capable of go see you know like literally there was completely understaffed completely in over our heads the shows that we did were fucking awesome. I loved every single, you know, part of it, even on the nights that I did. And, and, uh, I just can't wait to do it again. And in the meantime, whatever anybody has to do to like, just stay ahead of the curve. And we, it's complicated. We, we talk all, it's all the time about it internally with the team where it's like, if another opportunity comes up right now, you got to jump on it. You know, you got to jump on it because this, this, that's the situation we're in. But, um, we always joke that one day he's going to be working at some, whatever he's got to do right now. And he'll hear that honk and he'll come outside and the tour bus is waiting. James is driving and like, James dude, will be like running over small children grab and, trees your pelican in the the- <laughs> and we're fucking off. I can't wait. Pelican, get your weed and get in the bus, Tom. Yeah. But then leave your weed behind because we have to get on an airplane. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's share some tour stories. Tommy, give me your favorite tour memory with Jordan. I'm sure you probably have a lot. Yeah, favorite tour story with Jordan for me. Um, we spent like three extra days in Moscow, and I think that was probably one of my Jordan. It was me, Jordan, and then our tour manager Nolan um, chose to like stay the extra few days because we were like the only ones without other responsibilities. And we're just like, fucking Fuck yeah, Moscow, Moscow, dude! Like hell yeah, I got some time. Why wouldn't you? Chill. And we were only there like we literally flew to Russia to play one show. Like, why wouldn't you stay a couple extra days? Like, it'd, it'd be stupid not to. So we. Like stayed the extra couple of days, got to see like uh, Metallica. I was like, who do we see? We got to see Metallica at like a soccer stadium with like 80,000 people, which was insane. We, you know, got to see like the Red Square and go around and got like a tour from our uh, translator who like showed us like they have a crazy subway system with all of this beautiful like Soviet era art that you would never know is just underground in, in Moscow, you know, like stuff like that. That was probably like in terms of really cool, like, whoa, I'm doing something awesome. That was, that was one with Jordan. That was fun. Um, in terms of just like the small tour moments with Jordan, um, there's been a few fun ones. I feel like the beat, the off day in, in Texas, in Texas on the beach was a considerable highlight. That Texas, I think that was Alabama. Oh no, Mississippi or something. Yeah. Gulfport. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it was in Galveston for some reason. Yeah. Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, yeah. Like that off day was, was a gem of just, you know, hanging out, enjoying like a beach with your, with your dudes and like talking about life and existence on deep levels. (laughs) Like that was a memorable. People want to know the people want to know what really happened on that beach, Tom. 
Yeah, it's we all a beach mushrooms. in Mississippi, nonetheless. I never took that place to have like beautiful <laughs> beaches. Is that like a thing? It was baller, actually. It was really yeah. beautiful white sands. I mean, oh, I'm with dude, actually, okay, hell bent just... on ruining it by the amount of deregulation and oil companies and plastic companies. But yeah, but... the mayor stopped by and told us all about it. Like that was yeah, such it, a well, weird. Well, what happened was we we managed to like the original plan was to park in like a shitty walmart like down the street and there's this big ass beach and our tour manager was like i think we can just park there and it'd be an argument erupted of different people whether or not we can or can't park on the beach um and fucking nolan tour manager went that's what we're doing it, he was like he managed the tour we're parking on this beach. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. I mean, I didn't say anything because I was a baby, but I, I hate confrontation on tour. So I was kind of out of it. But deep down, I was like, let's go, man. Like you park on that beach. So you pull up. The only car parked is this massive tour bus with a trailer on it. And we uh, just have this great day. And uh, some super jacked war vet comes down to shake everyone's hand off and like, he's making small talk with us and we say that we're like a band on tour and he i guess is like friends with the or something but the a kid comes by who's who's like the the small town takes interest in this tour bus park apparently it's relatively it's not uncommon because it's a classic stop in between a couple cities and uh it turned out that the uh the daughter of the mayor was a fan had been working out to some Spotify rock playlists and had recognized the name grandson. So they agreed to stop by. And I don't think it's illegal to like just barbecue on the side of the road, but they were like, let's stop and have a barbecue. But I can't speak for Tom, but I was coming down off mushrooms. I was pretty high this whole so i'm over here just like watching sand fall from my hands and <laughs> contemplating life yeah oh dude it was and God. so then we're like talking to the mayor and yeah when the mayor that. came up he was like hey like i'm the mayor and jordan because like he said we were all coming down off mushrooms the dude had left when well, like, I he would came give up right now take mushrooms in Gulfport, mississippi oh yeah oh. dude I'm, i feel you like wh- the things you could do on tour but mayor dude like it was like somebody who worked in his office came up was like i'm gonna bring him back and so he left and i think we all kind of forgot about it but then they did come back and you, like dude comes up he's like i'm the mayor of Gulfport, mississippi and you just i hear you go and I'm the fucking president. Like, yeah, I was just like, like oh, what? God, this is not going to go over well. Like, I was just like, does he not remember that this dude said he was going to bring the mayor by? Like, oh, my God. It was chill. It was a good time. It was it was it was like, thankfully not. It was coming down. So I was just I'm probably more tired yeah. than anything. But it's yeah, still no, we were a little, all like, by that you're point. not sure if it's you're so ornery. Yeah, you just can't tell like what's real life. Is this what it feels like to not be on mushrooms? I can't quite tell. That pretty good chance that you're still on mushrooms if you have to ask. Um, but yeah, that was a great, it's a great memory, great memory. That and I can't believe memory. that was two years ago, man. That sucks. Yeah, what right? we all wouldn't give to be on a beach in Mississippi right now. Not only because it's fucking freezing. Actually, yeah. it was really nice here. It was like 60 here today, so I can't complain. But there you go. Yeah, I rode a motorcycle today. It's it's. But nice something that I'm interested in, Jordan. I mean. I know you're from the Toronto area. I mean, after doing a simple P-dot. yeah, after doing a, a Wikipedia search this morning, you're you were born in, in New Jersey, though, correct? I liked the intro, though it was pretty accurate. 
it's pretty good. Well, I mean, what was it like growing up in Toronto, having such a rich, you know, culture of hip hop, but also like producing bands like Sum 41? I mean, did being around such an awesome blend of music have like a major influence on the kind of music that you write now? Or did you kind of mostly, yeah, I think did to you some mostly degree. stick to like hip hop? Um, at the time I was doing more hip hop, to be honest, I just loved it. And it was just the cool thing to do in my high school. Like, but there was all kinds of music around. There's all kinds of food. There's all kinds of people. Um, and I think that in certain cities in America, you have greater concentrations of um, different types of people, different first generation immigrants. But in Toronto, particularly when I was growing up, um, it was really such a melting pot that everyone came from somewhere different. I would say that's a little less true now because of how much more expensive it's gotten. Um, you're seeing people get pushed further and further out of um, what were historically um, Filipino, Albanian, Jamaican, Dominican neighborhoods that are now just like white and white and white neighborhoods. Um, but it was cool. And as you said, yeah, there's definitely um, a greater influence of hip hop and R&B, but but a lot of those um, producers that come out of Toronto got their start through government funding, through after-school programs, through grants um, issued by the government. So there's like a clear priority put on Canadian arts that you just don't feel here. Obviously, being in Los Angeles, like it reigns supreme. But as far as like your government is helping you make your things. That was something that was really cool. Um, but it was never something that was that serious for me. It was always just a, a hobby while I figured out what I really wanted to do when I grew up. Um, and then I just kept doing the thing. I just assumed that at some point I would like grow out of it. And uh, I think like a lot of people, I just realized it was the only thing that I was like had any intersection of uh, being, having any natural aptitude for and, and really enjoying doing, spending all my time on. I was really spent a lot of time playing video games and smoking weed, but I didn't think I could go pro with those things. Um, <laughs> thankfully, music and writing songs became this like weird thing for me where it was like the more I did it, the more I could see improvement in it, which only motivated me to do it more. Um, and then... I got messaged by like a manager who followed a Facebook blog or something. And uh, they, they invited me to come out here, start writing for other artists, work on my own shit. And that was 2014. So that was like seven years ago. What kind of shows, I mean, what kind of shows were you like, did you go to growing up? I mean, like what kind of artists were you like fucking with? Like when you were a kid, like in Toronto back in the day, you know, it's funny because there's like the, I, I wasn't going to many concerts. It was a combination of that. I couldn't afford them. Like, or like, with the allowance money that I was getting, I was just buying weed and like weed paraphernalia. <laughs> I was like that kid that like needed a bong with four different compartments. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I spent like $140 on a fucking bong that I tipped over because I'm high. Like now I got to get another $140. There's no, I got no time to go to concerts. Yeah. <laughs> Fundraising for bongs and everything. But um, I went to, a G Love and the Special Sauce Jack Johnson tour. That was oh. fucking sick. Dave Matthews. My sister okay. went to like eight Dave Matthews concerts. So I went to one of those. My first concert ever was Umphreys McGee. My friend Devin, Devin Diamond brought me to Umphreys McGee. 
it was like a twelve dollar ticket, and they literally jammed for three hours. That's, uh, so, that's so sick. I was just like, whoa! I was like thirteen, um, but I never did any like big shows. I'm, I can't even really remember. Did some Canadian stuff, you know? There's like all kinds of bands that are huge in Canada, the Tragically Hip and and uh, Sam Roberts Band, and uh, I, I did a couple like little festivals, and then. Once I graduated from high school, I started going to a couple music festivals. And that was when I was like, oh shit. Like started seeing some more hip hop stuff and uh, went to Ottawa Blues Fest, which we were scheduled to do last year. Weren't able to do it, unfortunately. And I went to Oceaga, which remains my favorite music festival in the world uh, that we did get to perform at, which was really cool years later. But um, yeah, those things kind of opened me up. and, And so I started off just listening to like, acoustic guitar with reggae or hip-hop influence um and hip-hop and then when i when i moved to college i was like 17 and avici came to town avici was doing like 1500 like bars essentially and avici came levels was just popping it was Dude, that song was so sick the song was when so he sick. Fu- and i took mdma for the first time and oh went God. to the Avicii concert I can't when imagine. levels dropped that might have been the best moment of my life ever <laughs> like that was the coolest thing the mix of freedom and independence from leaving my hometown to the maximal you know ways that live dj shit i do not hate on electronic music or live dj shit at all i don't care that they're not you know up there building a synthesizer from scratch don't give a fuck feels amazing you know and yeah this day our 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 concerts are very much informed by how much i love electronic music and electronic shows i always try and get the visuals you know and the lasers and shit because it was just that i always want to go back to being that age and seeing that concert and being like oh my god this is the coolest thing ever it's like euphoria dude that song dude you got me you got me all fucked up right we now. did this last night really randomly this is so funny that this came up because yeah. last night at like 11 p.m we just went on on i think it was because uh because uh, daft punk was breaking up so we just yeah. went down it's like daft punk turned into justice turned into avici turned into swedish house mafia and it was just i was just back i was back on the dance floor the molly was kicking in i'm 18 again <laughs> dude rest in peace man that's such a tragedy he was such a such a talent dude that that song that song was like the the anthem to like my 2000 like it was so weird because like I, like me and Tommy grew up like hardcore kids and like pop punk kids you know so like electronic music really wasn't like our 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 shtick back in the day but like that song spoke to me so i I agree with you. That, that's uh, I was a combination of not hardcore enough and not straight edge enough. I was like <laughs> not either polarity enough to appreciate hardcore shit back then. It's, it's funny because I, I remember a time when Tommy was straight edge. And then like the first time that I remember him not being straight edge was such like a such a life changing event for me because I I knew him for like six years, like before he like broke edge and like this little innocent kid that I met that was in high school that ran sound at the DIY venue that we did was no longer so innocent. <laughs> Is that what we call it? Broke edge. That was cool. Breaking oh, yeah. edge. Yeah. When he yeah, broke edge. I like he, he broke edge, bro. <laughs> it's All the cool very kids serious business. It. If you are a yeah. straight it, I, I, I'm definitely not. Yeah, we shouldn't pretty wiggly these honestly. days. <laughs> <laughs> pretty wiggly. Oh, fuck. 
All right. Well, I know you performed on Late Night with Seth Meyers, a show that I am a, a big fan of. I like late night TV. I'm a journalism like major, so I'm ah. really in love with, <laughs> with any with any kind of talk show. But be honest, man. I mean, like that's a huge that's a huge stage to play on. I mean, it might have been a, a couple of years ago, but uh, playing on a show like that is major. And I'm always just curious how people feel like in the moment before they do that sort of thing. Be honest, man. But like, were you nervous before you did that, or was it was it kind of just like a straight up performance, just like anything else that you've ever done? I was nervous before it. I was very nervous. Before. I hear that. I hear that a lot from like, a when, I, when I listen to when I listen to interviews. People are always like, "Yeah, you know, like it's actually like one of the only times I've ever been nervous before I performed." Oh, I was fucking. I mean, you're in Thirty Rock, which is so cool. So the the process to get to your green room, there's all these autographed, you know, photos on the wall of people that that did it, you know, that did SNL. So that was all so cool and. uh meeting him was a very surreal experience because i'm like dude you're not a real per person like who told you you could exist and you're in the tv magic tv box and now you're here shaking my hand that's weird um and what was funny was at the time uh this is pre-tommy so you know we were very undermanned on this on this run in 2018 uh when i did seth meyers and uh so the way that we were doing all the backing tracks where they were all just going through an iPad uh, oh, that David oh yeah. had rigged up uh, next to his hi-hat, which he still advocates for. He still thinks <laughs> we could be on the, on, on the iPad. Um, but the only thing that the iPad needs is to be plugged in. That's it. It's, you could throw it down a flight of stairs. You could hit it with your drumstick accidentally. The thing is fine, but you need to keep it plugged in because the program that the iPad is running is draining battery like faster than the charges even charging it or something. So anyways, they're, they run such a tight ship there. Um, you know, the, the, the keyboard had a brand on it that we needed to hide and the costume department had the exact color tape. It literally, it was so good that we just kept that. It, like, it was so cool to see a, a ship run that tight. I had all kinds of ambitions to jump on his desk and throw his papers around or something. And they, they <laughs> nixed all that. They nixed a couple of my, my outfit choices might've been a little more controversial. They didn't want any of that. Um, but there was an implicit understanding that like, if you don't fuck this up, then maybe we'll come ask you to come do it again. If you do piss everyone off and fucking make it the, the grandson show, then, then this will be your last time doing it. Um, that was not explicitly said to me. And if they're watching, like, it's all good, you know, water under the bridge. <laughs> I'm available. But um, yeah, so anyways, they didn't plug in the iPad. They just didn't. For whatever reason, they rolled it off and it wasn't plugged in. And so five minutes beforehand, it was just dead. And um, there have only been two times ever that um, that that David, the drummer, has has had any look on his face other than, dude, I got this. Don't even worry about it. I can't even remember the second time, but that was like, I looked at him and he looked back like, I don't know what we should do. And I wasn't prepared to see that face in the lead up to the biggest concert I've ever done. But um, so they're trying to figure it out. And, and Seth is doing crowd work to like try and put off introducing us. He's always, you know, getting banter going with the audience. And I'm just like pacing around waiting for someone to tell me to do my song. And, I just remember getting this real divine, like, 
you know, holy fuck, this is what it feels like. Like this is that almost famous. Nothing goes perfectly. The bigger the thing is, the more something's going to fuck up in the last minute. And I swear to God, Fred Armisen was there doing uh, some sort of bit. And he's actually a pretty good drummer. So he was working with the house band that night. And I look over at Fred Armisen from SNL, like this comedian that I just love, Portlandia, everything. And he just gives me this big, really corny, double thumbs up, like big smile, <laughs> like dude. And uh, I was like, let's fucking go. iPad <laughs> turns on 3% and we just rip through this fucking song. Uh, and then it gets aired later that night. And so we went to like a dive bar in New York and asked them to turn it on. I had still had the outfit on and it was just like us and a couple like local drunks who were doing double takes at the television. It was really <laughs> sick. So what hopefully we get moment. to do it again soon. And, you know, I don't want to do if, and when we do the live shit, you know, the late night again um, for this album or the next, I don't want to do it remote virtual distance. Like I want to be, in that building with that same corny backdrop that rage and nirvana and i want to be a part of it and it was an amazing i feel so lucky to have done that yeah i mean what a what a, a it's a huge milestone just to hit early in your career just to play on late night you know what i mean it's just one of those few things that you know like somebody who's outside of our scene like if i was like oh i headlined x venue then we might understand that significance but my grandma doesn't get that right but to do like i did the late night television thing that's like the people that don't know or care being like oh that's interesting like holy so, shit i could i could turn my tv on and like you're right, right there. like those yeah. kinds of little things are hard to come by you know and uh i you know i feel very 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 lucky yeah absolutely yeah, well jordan thanks for joining us man i really enjoyed the conversation today we've got a bunch of other questions that we could ask and probably go another hour on this podcast that just leaves open you know for for another episode We're gonna have to do a so. part two if the fans <laughs> want it yes oh, i'm yes. sure they will too but we'll have uh, to pick up where we left off oh once again he's learning ah, he, he knows it well thanks again man i know like on behalf of tommy i let him say his piece at the end but i really enjoyed talking i really uh i really enjoyed watching you know you guys like not you know not only Tommy being out on the road, but I, I love watching you guys grow and like prosper. And I'm really excited to get back to, you know, I, as, as we all are, I'm really excited to, for all of us to get back to, to doing what we're meant to be doing. So uh, best of luck in the future. I'm, I'm sure that we'll probably, uh, our, our, our paths will probably cross here in the next year. I hope fingers crossed, maybe we'll be in LA by the end of the year. Who knows? Likewise, man. Likewise yeah. to be continued. Yes. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you again so much for being on. It was a, a real treat to finally get to sit down with you. Oh, dude, it's been fucking real. It's good to hang out. And that's our show. If you like what you heard on this episode and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe to our pages. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can also find us on social media, too, at LeftOffPod on Twitter. And just simply search our name on Facebook or Instagram, the Where We Left Off Podcast. See you next time. Like, subscribe, all that shit, wherever you find your podcasts. I'm out.